My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Haven't had to do this in a while. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. Welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're here today. So if you've got your Bibles, we're in... Mark, yes. You can say it with enthusiasm. It's all right. It's, it's only week 117, you know. Not kidding. <laughs> all right, so we're in Mark chapter 12 today. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, grab a Bible and head over to Mark chapter 12. We'll read all the way through Mark chapter 12, and then uh, we will dig into verses 18, probably just that first paragraph in that section today. So hello to those of you in the room, and hello to some friends online. So I see Miss Nancy Miller and Barry Cole is speaking in tongues again. Uh, my mom is here, and my friends from North Carolina, the Greggs. Hey, guys, good to have you guys. Uh, so first question up that we ask each week is, what is God doing in you through his word? Isn't that just magic? All I do is just lean back and look, and it just happens. It's crazy. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? And Augie has an answer. That is awesome. <laughs> I love participation. Participation is a good thing, right? That's fantastic. No issues for me. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Again, an answer. That's awesome. Kids can hear the intonation of a question, and they know that it's time to respond, so... Pretty cool, like that. Oh, I don't know. I'm not. That's what I'm trying to learn, Dave. Do adults get the intonation too? I don't know. I'm digging it, actually. It's cool. For those of you online who can't hear, Augie is responding every time I ask a question, and it's fantastic. So there's just that. All right, going once, going twice. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Showing me that truth and honesty are very few these days. Truth and honesty are very few these days. Yeah, in our culture. Yeah, in our culture. Being truthful and honest with ourselves. Yeah, being truthful and honest with ourselves and those, with, with those around us, absolutely. Some things don't change over time, do they? I, I find when I read through Mark, and I'm like, yep, I still see that, and yep, I still see that, and yep, it's like, oh, maybe human behavior is just bad. Yeah, 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 the tendency to think that it was just for them and not for us today, yeah, absolutely. I thought I saw a hand. Yes? I saw the finger, so you don't, you don't, I forget, you don't raise your hand, it's just like, I get this, I gotta keep an eye out for the finger, so. The good finger, not that finger, Chandelier. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, Miss Sherry. This is encouraging me to keep in the word because 
Amen. The importance of staying in the word and what Jesus says in verse 24. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, this is, is, is going to be a lopsided lesson, I believe, today, because we're only going to get to that first paragraph in that section. So it's really just the Sadducees, and next week is Jesus. Like, I don't have a hammer big enough to bring down like what he's going to bring down. <laughs> uh, maybe Thor's hammer. Maybe we bring Thor's hammer next week and have a, be a good reason to buy a Thor's hammer. You can write that off, right? Is that a, is that a taxable expense? Sure. Depends? No? Okay. All right. We'll go with that. All right. Let's read Mark chapter 12. Uh, and for the, I, I think I can see that you have marked up your copy of Mark. All right. So thank you for that. That's beautiful. Yes? No? Yes. It, it is quite marked up. Right. So if you don't have one, I have some today. So if anybody doesn't have one, Chandler, Keith, you, have, you guys have one of these? You do? Keith, you have one of these? Probably. Probably. Well, go, go check then. She said she didn't buy one. Oh, okay. All right, let's read Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And, he, and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? 
for the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, neither, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls himself Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Amen. So in Mark chapter 12, we are coming right on the heels of Mark chapter 11. Yes, I thought I'd start with easy questions today. So uh, Jesus has come to Jerusalem he has engaged with, uh, in the immediate passage prior to what we're studying today, the Pharisees and the Herodians. So we looked at this text last week, the Pharisees being the religious elite, the religious extremists, the Herodians being the political elite, the political extremists. So he's dealt with politics and religion blended in their hatred for Jesus. And now we come to a different sect of Judaism and uh, religious belief. So... Uh, verse 18, if you've got your hand out, verse 18 says, and Sadducees. So let's stop here for just a second. So Sadducees, <clears throat> a couple of things about them. So I got this from the Wikipedia's article. Uh, you know, you read gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs of stuff about this, and then you go to Wikipedia, and in two sentences they summarize it, and you're like, yep, that's like super accurate to what the 30 pages of text that I read. So this is what it is. So the Sadducees rejected the oral Torah, so the Talmud, 
Uh, and we'll talk about this in just a second. But uh, the Pharisees were locked in to all of this tradition stacked on top of what they viewed as actual God's word. The Sadducees only accepted the written Torah. So just the words that who wrote. Just the words that who wrote. Moses, right. So it was all about Moses. And who does Jesus quote back to him? Moses, right. Because <laughs> when you know the word, you can refute heresy. So the, the Sadducees were just, just Genesis through Deuteronomy as the sole source of divine authority. Let's go to the next one, Dave. <clears throat> so if you wanted to look at the Sadducees' theology, this is it. Now, if you look in the text, it says the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. Now, if all of your theology comes from Genesis through Deuteronomy, how much, I'm going to ask a very specific question here, how much explicit resurrection language is in Genesis through Deuteronomy? You're like, doesn't, doesn't feel like a whole lot. <laughs> yes, this is Gary's joke, right? So others said, sorry. I was hoping I could get through the whole thing without saying that, but I knew somebody would bring it up, so. Two points for Gary Jared. Yes, there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so now I'm going to argue next week that there is resurrection language in Genesis through Deuteronomy because I believe Jesus argues that there is resurrection language in Genesis through Deuteronomy, but it is not explicitly clarified and stated in a way like, you are going to rise from the dead and be with God in a place specifically in the future. It's not that crystal clear. So this is the Sadducees... Theology. Let's go one more day. So this would be closer to what the Pharisees, and the colors matter here. So the Pharisees would say the Old Testament, good stuff, right? The Pharisees would say the Mishnah and Gemara, the Talmud, good stuff, not quite on the level of the Old Testament. So I've got a copy of the Mishnah. So this is my copy of the Mishnah. So this is a, um, you, could, you can think about it as a a bit of running commentary and interpretation of the law. So it's, it's a lot of opinion, and a substantial amount of it is incredibly helpful for actually understanding the Old Testament. Like, it's, it's quite, to understand how the people who lived in that day and age would have used and interpreted and lived out the commands. So that's the, this is part of the, tomorrow, I'm, you're not printing that off in one book. Uh, so that's the Talmud. Then you come to the Apocrypha, and, and I want to stop here for just a second. So how many of you, you've heard this word Apocrypha before? Yes, yes. So I have a copy. This is the uh, New Revised Standard Version. Uh, and actually, most of the modern translations, you can order a copy of your translation that will include the Apocryphal books. Um, this is just the Apocrypha, and I'm going to pass this around just a little bit. One of the things that you can do, uh, you can actually get a, an ESV, the translation that we use in here right now, uh, with an Apocrypha in it. So ESV, uh, New American Standard, uh, NIV, like all these major translations, you can get one with the Apocrypha. So somebody, somebody tell me what the Apocrypha is. Anybody know? Other than just, yes, I've heard that word. Yeah, so... So it's hard to describe what they are without defining this word that's really, really specific, right? So let's talk about canon, C-A-N-O-N. Not a, like fire off a light a match, boom, there's a canon, but 
the canonical, the canon books. So most Protestants, most, not all, most Protestants would say that the 66 books from Genesis to Revelation are the canon. So when they were penned, they were canon. They were recognized later as canon, but when they were penned, they were canon. Right? This was, you don't have to have a decree that says this is the word of God. It's nice to, to declare that this is the word of God. That's great, but that they were what they were. The Apocrypha are 13 books that are um, of disputed canonicity. So now I've taken the word that I've just defined and put it in another complicated word, right? So we're, we're not entirely sure that these are God's word. However, some of the early reformers felt so strongly about these books that when they printed English copies of the Bible, they included the Apocrypha kind of sort of just in case to cover all my bases. <laughs> Uh, now, if you read their works, they won't say it like that. But there's a, there's, a, there's a significance in Jewish history, at least, of relying on these works. And for the people who were alive in Jesus' day, they would have been familiar with the apocryphal stories. So when we read the New Testament and read the Old Testament and skip over things that the Old Testament, uh, that the, sorry, when we read the Old Testament, I'm going to get this right, and we skip over stories that New Testament believers would have been aware of, we are coming at the New Testament with a limited perspective. So just want us to be aware of that, right? This is called reading outside the canon, and I would strongly encourage you do it. I would also strongly encourage you do it with a highly skeptical eye because there's more here so the next setup is the pseudepigrapha. This is one of my favorite words. I brought my copy of the pseudepigrapha. If you've noticed, this is a lot more <laughs> than just the Old Testament. Okay? So think about this. So you've got the Old Testament, right, the 39 books. You've got the Mishnah and the Gemara, the commentary. You've got the Apocrypha, the kind of disputed-ish books. And then you've got the pseudepigrapha. These are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of stuff stacked on top of the Old Testament. And when Jesus would quote Scripture, he was quoting the Old Testament. Now, he would refute many of the things that are taught here, but he doesn't do so explicitly because they didn't use those words for these groups of books then, right? We, in our modern Dewey Decimal System, have to have a place on the shelf to put these things, right? So we group them and we categorize them, and it makes it easier to describe. So this would be the Pharisees' view. Like, Old Testament's good, Mishnah Gemara is pretty good, is pretty good, Pseudepigrapha, eh, so-so. All right, one more day. I would say this is toward a healthier view of non-canonical literature. Old Testament, good. Mishnah Gemara, Apocrypha, helpful to be aware of, but I'm not putting it in the same bucket or the same color as the Old Testament. Pseudepigrapha, crazy stuff. Like, if I read to you guys some of the stories in here, we would have to change, yeah, it's, it's crazy stuff, okay? It's crazy stuff. So, I, I say all of this to say I want you to see where they're coming from theologically before we get too far in. Now, let's look at verse 18 again. And the Sadducees came to him.
who say that there is no resurrection. So there is no resurrection, right? Do we got another slide, Dave? Yep, there we go. So according to Josephus, now Josephus was a, uh, he's not a church historian. He's a uh, pagan historian who was mostly in the ballpark of the truth most of the time, right? He's famous because he wrote a bunch of stuff down and it got copied and copied and copied, right? So he was kind of the, if you think about him as the first one out of the gate, sometimes first to market is the popular one that hangs around and he was, it was pretty easy to read. He didn't write it at this real elevated level, easy to consume. This is Josephus. But we know for a fact he didn't always get his facts right. However, Josephus gives us a pretty good understanding of what the Sadducees believe. So no fate. God doesn't commit evil, man has free will, soul's not immortal, no afterlife, no rewards or penalties, and there's no resurrection. You're like, okay, well, that's, there's a couple things in there that I would go, I'm good with that. Like, God does not commit evil. Yeah, that's right. I, I do not believe God commits evil, right? Um, depending upon how you define fate, I don't know, maybe, right? But the soul is not immortal. So, so what then would the Sadducees believe when you die, what happens? That's it. Game over, right? Do not pass go. Do not collect. I mean, that's it. That's the end of everything. So would that affect how you lived? Absolutely. Okay. Do you remember from a week or two weeks ago when we talked about who was in charge of the politics of running the temple? Sadducees. They were the political elite inside the temple. Does this begin to make sense? If I'm not going to live forever, I better get everything I can get out of this life right now. So power, authority, like, ooh, I'm important when I walk in the temple, you know. So all this stuff's going on, and the people knew this, right? The average everyday Jew walking around the street, they knew this about the Sadducees. So, verse 18. So the Sad oh, I got one more, sorry. Yep. The Sadducees are also referenced in Acts. So they didn't believe in the resurrection, and they reject, this is an important one, they rejected the idea, even the concept, of spirits or angels. And this is the one where I go, dang, guys, how closely were you reading the Torah? Because that shows up there, right? I mean, this is, this is in the book. So... So I would say that even in their system of belief, they were not completely internally consistent. Does that make sense? So they, they had some holes in their theology, even what they stated that they believed very plainly. So we'll go from there. All right, so thank you, Dave. So the Sadducees came to him. They came to Jesus. Jesus is in the temple, which I think is funny because he's on their turf, but it's his land. <laughs> right, so this is... So make sure we understand like, who owns this space, right? So they, they came to him and, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked, and this is the, in the imperfect, which means they repeatedly asked. They asked him a question saying, and they repeatedly asked this question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. 
You might be thinking, that's a weird thing for Moses to write. So let's go to the next slide, Dave. Let's talk about Deuteronomy 25.5. This is the, now there's, there's much more that's written on this. This is kind of a distillation of the liver at marriage. So if, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Pause. Why did you not want to marry outside to a stranger? That's a very specific term. A stranger was a what? A pagan, right? If you marry a pagan, like, whoop, time out. Now we've started mixing things. Now, what about the other, the outside the family? Why is that a problem? Bloodline issues, yes. Inheritance. It's the land. 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 You cannot lose the family land. Right? What does God promise his people over and over and over? You're going to have a land. It's yours. Is this in the news today? Literally today. <laughs> right? There will be no politician who eternally resolves the land conflict in the Middle East. Jesus will fix it, and he will fix it finally, and he will fix it eternally, and that will be that. Right? He is the only one that can fix this. So be very wary of anybody, of any political stripe that says, I can fix this. I'm 45. I have seen every American president state some version of, I can fix this. I think we can do it. We are batting zero right now at this. <laughs> right? So let's be very careful here. So. This is the concept, so let's keep going. Her, her, her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. This is a very uh, uh, G-rated version of saying something that I think we can all understand. Uh, so this is what Moses commanded. It's about the land, it's about the land, it's about the land, it's about the land. So teacher, Moses wrote to us, if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, that the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And then they go into one of the weirdest, most twisted, odd, crazy, messed up examples in the entire New Testament. When I read this, I remember when I was reading through Mark, you know, a couple of years ago, trying to get ready for the series and reading through Mark. Every time I come to this text, I'd be like, that is messed up. Like, who even dreams up a situation like this? It is crazy. You got seven brothers and each one of them has this, and my, my, the most compassionate thing in this whole story, last of all, the woman also died. My, thank God there were no more brothers. Like, just, this is just mean at this point, right? I mean, this craziness. And I thought, where in the world did they come up with this example? And then I remembered the Apocrypha. Because there's a reference in the Apocrypha, in the book of Tobit, T-O-B-I-T, which I would strongly recommend that you read. It's actually the first book in the Apocrypha. So Tobit, the apocryphal story of Tobit, is about a guy named Tobit, yes. And he has a son named, here's super extra credit if you know this one. What's that? Tobit, no, it's not Tobit, it's Tobias, actually. It's pretty dang close, but Tobias. Uh, Tobit has an unfortunate <laughs> interaction with a bird. Um, you're familiar with the story, yes. Uh, the unfortunate interaction with the bird is that the bird, I, there's not a delicate way to say this, the bird poops in his eyes and he goes blind. 
So it kind of sets the stage, right? It's, it's like the weirdest parts of the Odyssey and the Iliad kind of mashed up together, and his son goes off in search of uh, lots of different things and meets a, a, a close relative. And now you start to think of like hints of Ruth and Boaz, and they realize, hey, like you, you're actually, you should be next in line because she's had seven husbands who have each died on the wedding night. And your brain should go, ding, 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 ding. This sounds familiar. Something is sketchy. But the, the, woman's husband, the, the woman's dad on Tobias's and her wedding night actually takes some friends and goes and digs a grave. Because he didn't want word to get out there was eight. <laughs> the family name has been drugged through the mud so much, like we've got to cover this up so we'll do this discreetly and nobody will really know. Because, I mean, you think... Something's happened seven times. Well, I don't know, maybe. But Tobias, being a righteous man, prays with his wife right before they uh, lay down for the evening, and he lives, and it's a miracle. It's a wonderful thing, right? Now, the other thing that's going on in the book of Tobit is there are angels in the book of Tobit. Uh, Raphael is the angel in the book of Tobit that guides Tobias. He's kind of the Yoda character, if you will. Like, go over here and don't go over here, and I'll teach you these ways, and I'll do this and this and this. In every great story, there's a Yoda character. I can make anybody you want to be, right? Um, so he's guiding Tobias and basically comes to the conclusion that, uh, oh, I forgot, they kill a fish. It's this giant fish. And they take the liver from the fish, and this becomes significant because later on at the end of the story, they smear the gall from the liver of the fish on Tobit's eyes, and he miraculously recovers his sight. First thing he sees is his son. Everybody lives happily ever after smelling like fish. It's a, it's a wild and crazy read. I would strongly encourage you to do it. You can go to BibleGateway.com. Simply type in the word Tobit, T-O-B-I-T. It'll pull up a translation. You read the whole thing. It takes 15 minutes to read. It's a lot of fun. I would not argue that it is canon, <laughs> but it is helpful to understand the beliefs of the people who lived in that time. So what did the Sadducees quote to Jesus? Go to the next slide, Dave. This is where I'm at. So the Apocrypha includes Tobit. Next one, Dave. The Pharisees would have said Tobit was pretty cool. Go to the next one but the Sadducees would have rejected Tobit. They would have rejected the concept of angels in Tobit. They would have rejected Tobit's canonicity. What are they trying to do here? They're trying to get Jesus to say, resurrection is crazy. You see how many loopholes and oddities there are? Nobody can figure this out. You should say it's crazy just like we say it's crazy. We're going to give you the craziest example of the resurrection scenario in all of our literature. So they dig deep into the well of oddity and pull out Tobit. <laughs> and here we go. Does this make sense? Yes. Verse 20, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her. So the, the first would have been likely the oldest. But the second, he's going to be the new oldest, right? took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, he's the new oldest, likewise. And if you're like the fourth or the fifth brother here, 
Might be time to move, boys. I don't know. Verse 22. And the seven left no offspring, right? So she had no offspring in Tobit. Verse, uh, continuing in verse 22. Last of all, the woman also died. I have in my notes, poor woman. Verse 23. In the resurrection, which the Sadducees deny, Right? They deny this concept. In the resurrection, when they rise again, do you see rise again as subjunctive? This is not indicative. They're not saying when they rise again. They're saying when they rise again. Right? You can almost get the tone here. Whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. So let me ask you two other questions. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Can God make a rock so big he can't move it? You're like... Have you stopped beating your wife? I mean, these are questions you just can't, like, that has no answer. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. And they are thinking that they are going deep into the well of their Jewish history and pulling out the example that's going to stump Jesus. And they are going to lose. Shamefully, publicly lose. So we will stop there for today. And we will pick up, Lord willing, next week with what Jesus answers and how he answers and what he uses to answer them with. But I wanted you to have the context of their actual question because it's a bit broader than just like what were they, like who, which one of them dreamed this story up, right? It's, it's a lot of craziness going on here. Uh, Barry, in response to the uh, killed the fish, says he must have had a hook for a hand. Only Barry could come up with that comment, fantastic. There we go. All right, so uh, now it's time for our prayer time. If you would, uh, your weekly updates should be at the table. Please read over those. If you have any corrections, please make those corrections. If you have new prayer requests, write those down. We'll do all of our uh, application and personalization next week, Lord willing, because the only application from this one is, like, don't be crazy. I don't know. <laughs> um, so write down any prayer requests. For those of you online, if you would put those in the comments, that'd be great. We could pray for those. And then uh, pray for somebody that's not with you. And then let's go worship this one who can handle any question. And points the questioner back to the truth every single time. It is a master class in how to respond to those that are out to trap you. So with that, thanks for coming, guys. I love you guys. And it's good to be in a room with you two weeks in a row. I'm still excited. I'm still excited. Awesome. Good deal. Thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.